6, verse 45, strengthened by the storm. Now, last week, or we looked at a, a story, a very well-known story, you might remember if you were here, uh, where we watched Jesus perform a mighty miracle of provision. He took five small loaves and two small fish, and he multiplied them enough to feed 15,000 people or more. Now, I was trying to come up with a, a funny joke, and I'm not saying you always got a joke in church, but every now and again, it does help us loosen up that religious part of us so that we can enter more into relationship with Jesus. So I thought to myself, what would be a funny joke um, about this? And, uh, but here's the thing, right? Like, I'm reading all these commentaries. That's just one of the things that I do. You probably suspected that. But as I'm reading a lot of commentaries, like five or six out of 10 are always trying to do away with the miracles of Jesus. I call them de-supernaturalists. So Jesus didn't really walk on the water. He swam out there and there was a, a bank of sand that he stood on in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. No, it doesn't exist today, but back then it did. Or they'll say, well, he didn't really... Uh, perform any miracle with the five loaves and the two fish. See, what had happened was 4,990 of them were gluten-free. <laughs> so technically, he only... Okay. <laughs> was that good, Chris? You like that? that was, don't use it next service. All right, so there was a miracle. What I'm trying to say is, is that there's so many people out there that are trying to do away with the miracle power of Jesus, as if he's a mere man and he didn't do what we know he did. And just because you haven't seen five loaves of bread turn into a whole lot more does not mean Jesus didn't do it. And so we believe that he did it. We read that story with awe and wonder. He is a miraculous God. That's who he is. And he hasn't changed today. And so we read that story and we sit there and go, wow, God, you can do whatever you want to do. And Jesus multiplied this amount of food and he fed all of these people. And they were so overwhelmed by what Jesus had done um, that they wanted to make him king. That was the next response from them. But I want to tell you or at least remind you of what we talked about that miracle that Jesus performed was not just a miracle of provision. It was actually a revelation. Jesus was again showing the disciples and everyone else that was around him. It is not that I can provide for your needs. It's that I am everything that you need. I'm not just here to do something for you. I literally am everything to you. And until we get that fixed in our hearts, we will wander around asking of God instead of being with God, realizing that right next to us, right in front of us, and if you're born again and you believe in Jesus, right inside of you lives the person of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's a revelation that he is who he said he is. After the people saw the miracle, as I said, John's gospel tells us that Jesus somehow perceived they were going to try to make him king. They were going to do this by force. They wanted to fix him in this place of kingship so they could continue to get all the miracles that they needed. And they, at this point, probably believed that he was the Messiah. And so Jesus, knowing it wasn't his time, he sends the crowds away. He commands the disciples to get into a boat, and then he goes off into the mountain to pray. And that's where we pick up our story today in Mark 6, 45. Here's what uh, the Bible says. You can follow along. I'll just read it uh, for you. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. 
After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night, that's three to 6 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and they cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he smote, he spoke with them and he said, take courage. It is I do not be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished. And in verse 52, if you can underline it or just please remember to focus on this, for they had not gained any insight from the incidents incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and they moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and they ran about the whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were being cured. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. In Mark chapter 4, you might remember that we read a similar story to this where Jesus and his disciples were in the middle of a storm. And when we studied that passage, I talked to you about the difference between going through a difficulty or trial and growing through it that God is not just wanting to get us to a destination, but it's in the middle of things that happen in our life that God wants to instill and impart uh, things into our heart and our life for our future. God is always at work in our lives, so we don't wanna just get out of something. We wanna learn how to grow and follow Jesus in the middle of it. And that's what we talked about. And I went over the many verses that are in the Bible where it uses the word storm as a metaphor for trials and difficulties. Sometimes preachers are guilty of allegorizing the Bible or, or spiritualizing it in places where it's actually just talking naturally. But the reality is, is that the Bible all over the place uses that term storms for difficulties and trials. So it's really not far-fetched. And we obviously see Jesus using these moments in, and not sort of just trying to get them out of it. He's speaking to them in the midst of it. And we glean that principle. And we talked about in that time how the Lord wants to not just deliver us as much as he wants to develop us. And this is a revelation that we need to have because it's hard to remember when you're going through a certain thing that God is at work in the midst of that. And so we often ask the wrong questions. It's easy to say, why, as in why is this happening, instead of what, as in what are you doing? And this is often the place that we can get very stuck. And it doesn't suggest that God is the author of everything that we face. That would not be anything that I would teach today. But God uses all things that happen in our life. If he, even if he isn't authoring them, he certainly doesn't waste anything. And so we know that the disciples have been through stormy situations and they have learned from it. And now they're facing something similar. And what I'm saying today, and, and at least what I see in this text, is I believe he's using this to strengthen them even more. And I begin to think about how our lives can relate to this very principle that, I, that I'm going to bring up today. It's where we face similar situations today that we've gone through in the past, and the Lord's not done with us in our heart and in our life, and he wants us to go deeper. In fact, I would tell you that I think the spiritual life is very cyclical. 
and that whatever it is that we think we know, we surely don't have a depth that God wants to bring us to. And so whenever he brings us back to a place where we're learning seemingly the same thing that we were taught, it's that God wants to go deeper than where we are. It isn't a patronization as though we didn't remember anything. It's that we are forever exhausting the person of Christ as we follow him. It's not just about intellectual knowledge. He wants to root our hearts deeper and deeper and deeper. And we sort of look at the Pharisees as a contrast, and we've seen so many times they just keep referring back to their intellectual knowledge, and they're always offended when Jesus goes after the heart because he's presupposing that whatever it is that they have in their head, for whatever reason, isn't getting into their heart. And so they become sort of religious in their sophistication, and they're not actually able to walk out the principles that Christ has called them to live out. And so they become sort of an example to us in many ways of how not to live our lives. Not saying that knowledge isn't important, but realizing that knowledge is the beginning of our spiritual development so that we can go deeper. And I begin to think about how sometimes the Lord brings us into a situation that smells like what we've been through, or maybe it feels like something we have walked through. And we might ask the question, Lord, what are you doing? And I would say that God is wanting to strengthen us. Why? Because the days ahead are built on the days in which we're living. God wants to do things today so that we're ready for tomorrow. That's what he does. He does this all the time. And so when we ask the question, Lord, what are you doing? You may not get the answer, but I can tell you that he's definitely strengthening you and he's always strengthening me. And so I wanna make some observations of the text, just a couple today. And the first one starts in verse 45, and it is this, Jesus sent his disciples into a storm. Now everybody say sent. That was very powerful. You guys are nice and alive at 9 a.m. Morning people, my people. You're my people. We could do an 8 a.m. and I'd feel the same. I'd totally be, a, a, how many of you, 8 a.m., you'd be the same? Oh, man, I, hmm. Six, well, I don't know about, <laughs> Teresa, you got to calm that down there. You got to calm, 5 a.m., she said 5 a.m. This is the disciples were, 5 a.m. in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. All right. Well, you fit well into this story. Okay. Jesus sent his disciples into a storm. Look at verse 45. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Kind of like a parent makes their kids. Well, anyhow, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida. And while he himself was sending the crowd away, after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and he intended to pass them by. Jesus sent them on a five to six mile boat ride again across the Sea of Galilee. And it says that he did this at evening while he himself went off to to pray. Now notice he doesn't go go with them in the boat this time. In Mark chapter four, Jesus is actually with them in the boat. He falls asleep. At this time, Jesus goes to pray by himself. He sends them ahead of him. He no longer has a boat, so he's going to have to travel by land, which is going to take him a lot longer to do. And so this is sort of an unusual story if you think about what was intended here. But what isn't unusual is that storms are typical on the Sea of Galilee. The last storm we read about was what I called a megastorm. It says suddenly the storm came upon them. They couldn't foresee it. 
they didn't understand it. The winds and the waves were of a magnitude that were beyond their own understanding of how to cope with it, how to deal with it, some of them being fishermen. The storm that we're talking about now is very typical. And when you go out at night, which they would typically avoid, they would go early in the morning. Usually a lot of the headwinds come in the Sea of Galilee at about that time. Jesus sends them out and it says then at evening, uh, when, he, when he goes, now when he sees them struggling, it's the fourth watch of the night, 3 to 6 a.m. So they're out there. Some scholars say they're out there nine hours. Some say seven. We know at least five. They're out there five hours. It doesn't take five hours to go five miles. I mean, it does not take an hour to row a mile. You understand? And so what the Bible is telling us is that as they're going, the headwind is so strong, it's pushing them back. They make a little bit of progress and it's pushing them back. Sort of feels like our life sometimes, you know. They make a little progress and it's pushing them back. And the fourth watch of the night, they're in the middle. I mean, they're only two and a half miles out from where they started after many, many hours. So what does that suggest? That tells us that they were very tired. That tells us that they've been working hard. So physically, their strength has been depleted. And I would tell you just from maybe a little bit of a, not spiritualizing this, but as a principle, sometimes this is very true for us, is that Jesus sends us into something and in the middle of that, we find ourselves straining. We find ourselves exerting our energy. We're giving it all we got, but we are depleted like not long after he sends us into wherever it is we're going. In other words, we might be obeying God. And in the midst of that, we're facing all kinds of opposition, naturally, spiritually, relationally. And it begs the question, sometimes we might wonder, am I really where I'm supposed to be? I mean, he sent me here. There are times where we're not in disobedience. We're not uh, doing something we ought not do. We're actually where we're supposed to be. We're in the right place at the right time, seemingly with the right people. And we're getting all this opposition. And we're wondering, why is all of this happening? Because there's a subtle seduction in many theological camps today that would tell us if you're in the middle of God's will, everything's going to be happy. Everything's going to be... Don't laugh right now. I'm, I'm going... A couple of you even moaned, you know. But it's pervasive throughout Christianity. It's that if, if you and I just follow Jesus, man, everything's going to work out. No muss, no fuss. It's going to be great. The rainbows are going to shine because all the rains are over and the sun's always going to be out even in Seattle and your wallets are going to be full and your bodies are never going to have a problem no matter how old you are and every relationship you have is going to be great. And if it's not, it's on them and not on you. And, you know, it's all of that. And even if it's not said directly, it's said subtly. And I hear it in conversations. I hear it in teachings. I read it in books. And it's infiltrated so much of Christianity that I, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not overstating it. And I think there's this subtle seduction in our emotional pain to make us feel like maybe we're doing something wrong instead of asking God, what are you doing in the midst of where I am? But instead of that, often what we will do and I think you're a lot like me, we will ask, what is the point of me being here? Why am I out here? Why do you want me to be here? Why did you send me here? Why are you allowing me to feel this right now? Go through this, experience this. I don't like this. I don't like it at all. 
I don't want this. I didn't ask for this. I'm trying to follow you the best that I can. And it leads us to a principle that is throughout the Bible. And that is that God does not shield us from difficulties and problems and pain. He does not do that all the time. We might ask for that. We might want that. I'm not even telling you not to want that today. In fact, I will tell you, I'm not going to try to control any of your feelings or emotions. I'm just trying to encourage us to not adopt a type of thinking or a theology that isn't found in the book and doesn't lead to a robust faith. But we often ask these questions. I mean, the disciples could have asked, why is Jesus not in the boat with us? Last time we had a storm, we just woke him up. And now we can't wake him up. He's not here. We can't do that. And, and so his allowance for our struggles sometimes can suggest in our emotional pain that he's not involved or that he's absent or that he's not as good as we know him to be. But that's not true at all. It's so easy to think that when things are hard or we have a struggle come and we forget the things that God has done in our life. Have you ever at least you've been through this if you haven't done it, but you've taught your kids how to ride a bike. Have you ever watched this process? I mean, the kids, they got all the gusto in the world. It's time to learn how to ride the almighty bicycle. And so, of course, a child wants to ride their bike because Tommy and Susie and whatever other names, every kid on the block, they'll make up names if they have to to get their way. But Every other kid rides a bike and has got a nice, nicer bike than you bought me for Christmas and all that's the way it works. But anyhow, they want to ride a bike. They want to get to wherever they're going. And so you, the parent accepts something up front that the child definitely doesn't. And that is this, is that you're going to fall. You're going to fall. And uh, every child's like, I'm not going to fall. This is going to be awesome. And then the first ride, you see how they're often scared to even take off on their own, you know, and so you got to like send them like, you know, Jesus sent them in a storm. Sometimes the parents got to just send the child. There you go. God bless you. And they fall. And I've actually watched this. It, it didn't happen to us, but I have watched this where I've seen parents teaching their kids how to ride a bike and I've just intercede for them. I don't judge them at all. I just pray in the spirit. I have no words. I just pray in the Holy Ghost. But I... The kid will fall, scrape themselves up, get up and scream at their parents. Why did you do this to me? What were you thinking? Do you even love me? You know, all of a sudden they question whether or not the parent is good. Why would you do this to me? You knew this was going to happen. You wanted me to do this. And I didn't eat my broccoli. You know, it is. I've watched the kid just scream at their parents like they are the devil. But what the parent knows and the child hasn't accepted that if you don't get through whatever you got to go through in order to figure out how to ride this bike, you will never get to 7-Eleven when you're 10. <laughs> I'm going to be driving you for the rest of your life. Like, like you've got to learn how to do some stuff. And if you got to need a bump and a bruise and a scrape to get there, well, that's just how it is. And see, I think Jesus is no different. I think he's teaching the disciples principles like we understand in family life all the time. He's like, you got to get to the other side. You are not going to get over there unless you learn how to strengthen yourselves in the middle of facing opposition. And he's using, of course, he's using this for a spiritual lesson. There's no doubt in my mind that's exactly what he's doing. Without a struggle, we're never going to grow and we will never be strong enough to face the things that are coming. And so when we're in the middle 
of whatever we face, a trial perhaps we've never been through before or a thing that we didn't foresee and something we do not want, if we can't value the, the storm itself, not love it, not want more of them, but if we can't learn to value what God is doing in the middle of our difficulties, then perhaps we will never get the strength that we need. God wants us to move away from being superficial and away from being fickle and away from just having it in our head. He wants it to be in our character. Now, one of the things that we've seen in, in, even in church life and the reason people call Christians hypocrites is because you can have gifting and you can have knowledge and you can have all that and your character can be horrific. You, can, you don't know how to forgive. You're not kind. You're not loving. You're bitter. You're angry. You're upset. Friend, I want to tell you, you want to know what God's doing? He doesn't want you to read more books. He wants you to go deeper in your character, in your life. And so some things, opposition comes because he's trying to deepen something in here. But a lot of times we just want to pop open another book. I, I got to read a little. I, get, need, to, I need to deepen my skill set. No, you need to deepen your life in God. We need to go further in the Lord. We need to submit ourselves more. We need to surrender to him more. At some point, we have to learn that we get depleted and we have to look up and say, God, I just, I'm not good in this. I'm not forgiving. I'm not this. I'm not. And God will, in the midst of that, he will help us. And we can value those situations, not because they're fun, but because of what he does. That's what we're after in all of this. And so sometimes he sends us into that stuff. He doesn't shield us from it. He might even orchestrate a little bit of it. I'm not saying he authors all things, but occasionally I wonder if he might. You know, he authors a few things um, in, in our life. You know, you ever met somebody that you just don't like? Don't all say it at once, jeez. <laughs> I believe this, that sometimes God... And however this works, I don't know. But I think he designs in our life us to be around some people that we have to learn how to love and receive from. And whatever he has for us that we're praying for is on the other end of us learning to be Christ-like in our relationship with that person. It's like God has a package on the other end of that person. And until we learn to go through them, we're not going to get whatever God has. And they're not just a person to tolerate. They're actually a person that liberates us from the place that we're currently standing in. And it isn't about them. It's what God wants to do because there are things down the road. I don't, it doesn't matter how old we are. There are things down the road. We try to plan our life out, but God has some things that will come upon us suddenly that he's called us to. And in that moment, the question that we have to ask is, do we have the strength to stand and really do what's in front of us? I mean, I never planned half of the stuff I'm doing and probably will do. I have to be flexible. <laughs> but the fact is, is that God has stuff for us on the other end of sometimes what we wouldn't ask for, plan, or even invite. He sends us into some stuff. The second point is Jesus revealed who he was in the storm. Verse 48, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. The text says Jesus saw them. Now, there's a big debate over this particular wording here. 
Jesus seeing them. Jesus is on the land. It says they're in the middle of the sea. And let's just say best case scenario, they're two miles out there. He's got to have some laser vision. This is Superman here. So some people actually think that's a miracle. I don't know how to explain that other than to say that's what the text says. So he sees them out there struggling. And yep, it tells us that he walked on water. I mean, there was no sandbar out there that he swam to, friends. He just, he wa- I want to know how he walked on it, you know. He just walked on out there on water. It was waves. It wasn't like calm. He just walked on the water. And the passage says something very strange. It says he intended to pass them by. Now, I want to admit something to you. I've been preaching a while, and I've used this passage before. I've preached the Ma- uh, Matthew's version, Matthew chapter 14. It's also in John 6. But I've preached this passage before, and I always reflect on how strange it is to say that Jesus intended to pass them by. And I thought that was always a strange comment. In fact, it's laughable. It's like Jesus was trying to be funny. I I don't know how you perceive that, but I always thought it was strange. But the more I looked at it this week, the more I realized this was not Jesus's intention. This was their perception. Mark's giving a detail saying he intended to pass them by. That's the perception of those that saw him. But that's not what Jesus was doing. The disciples thought he was a ghost. And all of the pictures that you see about Jesus walking on the water, they're like, Jesus is like glowing. He's in HD and then there's this dark storm out there. No, friends, the reason that they thought he was a ghost because it was dark outside and they were seeing a silhouette. All your pictures are wrong. I just want you to know they don't... (laughs) There's probably a couple of them and you definitely can't see Jesus. I mean, he's just a dark silhouette and then they wouldn't know who he was until he got close enough to speak to them. In fact, they didn't know it was Jesus until he spoke. That's how close he had to get to them and even more so, he actually had to speak. And so they think he's a ghost. They cry out in fear and his true intention was to reveal once again who he really is, but this time in a powerful, in a profound way. It's a different way than even before. Now, why would I say that? Because of the passages that we have throughout the Bible, this would be the the Old Testament. That would be what they would have. Well, look what Job chapter nine and verse eight says. Job says about God, he alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. This means that he walks on water. Exodus 33 and verse 15 through 23, Moses has led the people of Israel out of bondage and out of slavery to Egypt. And now they're in the wilderness and they've already gone through a lot at this point in Exodus 33. And Moses is talking to God and he says, I want to see your glory. He says, show me your glory. There's a desire in Moses to to see more and know more about, about the one he's following. And so God says, I cannot show you all of my glory, but here's what I will do. I will take you, I I don't know how this happened, like he just sort of plucked him up, and I'll put you in the cleft of a rock, and I will put my hand over you. And then he says, and my glory will what? Pass you by. And it says this, as the Lord passed him by, he took his hand off of the cleft of the rock, and Moses was able to see God as he passed by or part of his glory. He couldn't encounter all of that. This is the same terminology that we're reading about as Jesus is intending to pass them by. Look at 1 Kings 19, 11. Well, you don't have it, but I do. And the Lord is speaking to Elijah. Elijah is running from Jezebel. He gets a note. She's going to kill him. He runs in fear. He thinks that, you know, he's 
doing what he's supposed to. God comes and confronts him when he's in the cave. And God says this to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass you by. There's a revelation throughout the Bible where God comes to his people again and again. Even in the wilderness, in the midst of the storms and the difficulties, the Lord reveals, I am your healer. In the midst of lack, he reveals, I am your source. I am your provider. He reveals to them in the midst of their unrighteousness, he's like, I am your righteousness. And this is what Jesus does throughout the gospels. Jesus says to them, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door, the way into the Father. I am that I am. This language right here where Jesus says, it is I, most scholars believe that it's the same framework of saying, I am. This is in Exodus chapter three, where Moses is saying, who am I gonna tell Pharaoh or whoever else I talk to, the one that sent me? And he reveals his personal name to Moses. He said, tell them I am sent you. This is the same terminology in a different language. When Jesus is on the sea and he's he's revealing himself in a profound and a powerful way to the disciples, he says, take courage, it is I. It's not I am Jesus. That's not just what he's saying. The implication is I am that I am. Now, again, if you didn't walk in here today with the Trinitarian theology, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-eternal, co-equal. I'm praying that you leave knowing that Jesus Christ is God. He's not just an anointed man. I don't know how you read the gospels and don't come to that conclusion. There is not a man that would ever say these things. This is why they wanted to stone him. Jesus is showing the disciples, I'm a storm silencer. I'm a true provider. I'm a miracle worker. I'm a great physician and I'm a water walker. (laughs) I could walk on the stormy sea. Job said only God could do that. The Psalms say that only God can silence the storms and the waves. And Jesus did that. Again and again, he's showing them who he is. God wants to show us who he is in the midst of what we're walking through. He doesn't just want to do something for us. Friend, I want to tell you, we can all go deeper. Half of my life I spend telling people we don't know God as well as we think we do. And part of the problem is that we have to first humble ourselves and realize that there's so much more that we need to know. There's so much more relationship with him that he has for us. And when that's the desire of our heart, that is where we'll meet God in greater and greater ways. He wants to show us who he is. And so this is why we pray prayers like, show me the beauty of Christ. Lord, reveal yourself to me. I don't just want something from you. I want more of you. And when we pray that prayer, God says, amen. And we get a greater revelation of who he is. And when you have a greater revelation of God, this is where asking of God is not a problem. You are my source. I lose my job. I didn't lose my source. You are my healer. You are the one that delivers me. He's not just giving us a a five easy steps formula to getting different or getting better or being transformed. We're always looking for the, the cookie cutter formula, but it's really about knowing him better. Isn't that the truth? seeing him bigger than he is. Remember in the last passage, when he silenced the winds and the waves, the disciples, I picture them in the boat all the way on the other side, kind of like this. What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? Perhaps the winds and the waves obey him a lot better than we do. Uh Uh-oh. Even the winds and the waves obey. Maybe 
Maybe the God in our boat is someone we're too familiar with. Maybe he wants to reveal himself even more. Maybe it's not a maybe. Verse 50, we look at the final point. Jesus spoke a word to his disciples in the storm. Look at verse 50. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they got into the boat, he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped. And they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Verse 52 is troubling to me. Their heart was hardened. They didn't, they didn't learn from the miracle that Jesus performed what he wanted them to learn, and their heart was hardened. Let me read it to you in the Amplified Version. It, it gives it a, a, little better, uh, a little better flow. It expands it a bit. For they failed to consider or understand the teaching and the meaning of the miracle of the loaves. In fact, their hearts had grown callous, had become dull, and lost the power of understanding. What does this tell us? This tells us that one overnight struggle in the storm has the power to dismiss all that Jesus has done. That's how powerful difficulties can be in our life. It can happen to all of us. Past miracles are not always enough to get us through present storms because we have this thing called forgetfulness. The Bible's so full of reminders. I mean, parents understand this at least for sure. Every, everybody should, but we remind our kids a lot of things and, and that's important, but reminders are all over the place. We all need them. My phone has reminders on it. Every app I have. <laughs> Somebody knew when they were creating apps that we would not just need the app and not just need to use the app, but we would actually need the reminder that we put something in the app. It's called a notification. Hopefully you've all turned those off today in church. But the reason is, is that we forget. I mean, we can only handle so much before we forget other things. That's just a fact. And so the past miracles, the things that we've gone through and learned from are not enough in present storms. That's why we have to know God in a greater way. It's not just that I've learned this because I've been through that. It's that I'm walking with God in the midst of all of it. And piece by piece, moment by moment, he continues to teach us. Well, look what he says to them as he approaches the boat. Two things, take courage. This means be of good courage, have confidence. It's like saying, I am with you. I've got you. Get your head up. And the second part connected to that, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's a word for us today. We're walking through a storm. Don't be afraid of death. Don't be afraid of your future. Don't be afraid of what others think or say. Don't be afraid of what you're going to do in the days ahead or how you're going to be provided for. Don't worry about that. I've got just trust in God. This is what he's after. Don't be afraid. Now, in Matthew's gospel, and it's not recorded here, but it is the same story, right after this don't be afraid comment, Peter says this to the Lord right after. And we've got to bring it up. He says, if it is you, command me to come. Lord, if it's you, see, I mean, Jesus is there. Jesus is speaking to him. And Peter says, if it is you, command me to come. And Jesus says, come. And you know what Peter does? He steps out of the boat and onto the water. And the Bible says that he actually walks on the water. Have you ever walked on water? Have you tried it? Come on. 
It's that first step. It's that first step. Fill up your bath. I was going to take a water bottle and pour a little water on the, on the carpet and go, look, I'm walking on water. That's about as good as it gets for me. <laughs> Peter walked on the water. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Peter didn't actually walk on water. He walked on the word of the one that told him to come. See, again, Jesus is trying to teach him something in the midst of this storm that's going to strengthen them for the things that are ahead. You're not walking on the water. You're walking on the word. If Jesus says you can, then you can. If God says, I'm going to provide for you food by sending it from heaven, which he did in Exodus 15, then I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to rain it down. He brought food to Elijah through a raven. I mean, that is a cool thing as far as I'm concerned. Have a bird drop off your food. I mean, talk about like, you know, what's that service today? What do they call that? The Uber, what's the new one? This dash, door dash or whatever. Come on, I want a door raven, you know, amen. That's what they did in the Bible days. Raven dash. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, it happened, friends. It did, didn't it? You read, you read your Bible. I mean, t- blow your mind. It'll blow your mind. God says things that don't make sense. He can do whatever he wants to do and however he wants to do it. I was asking this question when I was thinking about Peter. What would make a man think that he could step out of a boat and stand on water? I mean, what would make you think that you can step out of a boat and walk on water, on waves? And it's, there's my answer, a word from God. You got to have a word from God. When it says here in this text that their hearts were hard, I want to tell you what happens when our hearts are hard. You cannot hear the voice of God. The enemy is investing in that assault against every person, at at least in our mind. He's invested to get us to a place where we are hardened. He will use everything that he can. And you and I know that's what he's doing right now. The enemy will invest himself to try to harden our hearts, get us bitter, upset, angry, offended, wounded, so that we are more distant and more offended by things. And all that is doing is hardening our heart and disempowering or disenabling our ability to hear the voice of God, especially when we need it. We need to have a word from God. Yes, we need the word of God. This is what we build our life on. But in the middle of going through things, we need him to give us which chapter and verse that he's trying to teach us, talk to us about, or help us to get through it as we grow in him. We need a word from God. And when you read the Bible, that's what you see in Noah's life. I want you to build a boat. You see it in Abraham's life. I want you to leave everything you know and go here. It doesn't make sense, but it was a word. And with Moses, I want you when you're 80 years old, to go and deliver these people that have been crying out to me. That's what I want you to do. It's a word from God. We need a word from God. What is God saying to you right now? What is God saying to you right now? My first, I've told you this before, you may not remember, but my first pastor, um, or one of my first pastors, the one that I was most connected to in the beginning, he used to ask me this question all the time. He'd say, Ben, what is God saying to you right now? And I started saying, I don't know. And he would say, that's a bad answer. (laughs) Don't say that to a new believer, by the way. It's not good. I didn't just mess with me. Anyhow, thank you, pastor. Uh, But he was trying to root something in my life that you can know. We walk around with a lot of, I don't know. What do you think about that? I don't know. What is God saying to you? I don't know. Friends, there's, when you walk with God, there's a, this I know. God wants to speak to our hearts. 
And not just in storms, a lot of times what he's doing, not to just get us out of things, he wants to strengthen us. What are you doing? I bet the disciples were, were, were why? We, we get stuck in the why. Why? Why am I not where I think I should be? Why am I not experiencing what I've prayed for? Why has my life not gone the way that I think it should, planned for, prepared for, studied for? Why am I not where I literally thought I always would be? Why is the world going the way that it is? Why is my family responding this way? The, the, the answers on the other end of why don't usually come. I mean, I've asked, I've asked a lot of whys, but I don't get a lot of answers. But when you ask the question, what? Lord, what are you doing? What is the word that you have for me right now? He happily answers that. It doesn't always solve some of what we're facing or what we're going through or what we're asking for, but it gives us direction. It helps us know what to do, to grab a hold on. It gives us bearings. It reinforces our foundation. It strengthens us. And that's what we need is we need to be strong. We need to stand tall. We need to trust God. We need to lay hold of more of what God has for us. What glorifies Christ? What is God saying to you right now? What is the word to you? And are you believing him? Are you resisting that word? Are you resisting the word the Lord has for you? Sometimes that's what keeps us angry. It's the thing that God wants for us right now is not the thing that we want him to address, but it is exactly what he's doing. I want to address this in your heart. I want to address this in, our, in your life but we, I can be honest and say, we tend to presume that if this thing over here happens, that it will unlock what's supposed to go on in my life. And the fact is, God may not explain it to us, but he would say that is not true. It's that if he can unlock our heart, all the stuff that we're going after, or maybe perhaps another direction entirely, opens up to us in a very profound way. God, God just knows that the side, the part of, that we play is the trust. We trust the Lord. Lord, what are you saying to us right now? We don't always understand the path that life brings us down, but we can trust that God does. Even if we don't know what he's doing around us, I can tell you this, we can always know what he's doing inside of us. Strengthening, developing. He is strengthening us right here, right now, not only for today, but also for tomorrow. I want to close with this story. I shared it several years ago when I first came here, but it sort of applies. There was a married couple who were on a cruise ship and the captain made an announcement on the loudspeaker that they were heading into a storm and all the passengers needed to vacate the decks and head into their rooms until further notice. And the pastor's wife was unsettled by the announcement, so she called the captain's deck and talked to the captain's assistant. She said, why are we even going through the storm? Why don't we just anchor down here and wait for the thing to pass and then pull up anchor and then keep going? And the assistant said, well, I'm not sure. I'll get back to you in 20 minutes. And so he calls her back and he says, ma'am, thank you for your question. The captain told me to tell you two things in response to your request. First, he wants to kindly remind you that he's in charge of the ship and not you. <laughs> Second, this ship was built with this storm in mind and everyone will be just fine as long as they do what we've asked. That's the thing, trust. God, what are you doing in the midst of this? Maybe you don't get the answer of the why, but God is strengthening you. God is building us. God is stirring us. God is giving us more passion. 
He's helping us for the days ahead. He's not just trying to get us out of a jam. He's not even just trying to get us through it. He's trying to do something with us in the midst of it. Now, maybe today I'm talking to someone, and I know a lot of you. Um, you love the Lord. You know the Lord. I, I know that about you. But maybe you feel like, as we're talking today, that whatever you're facing, maybe nobody knows about it. Maybe you're going through some things, and, and to be honest with you, you fought them, fought them, fought them, and then you just let it go because you're like, I can't, I can't rid myself of this problem that's plaguing me. I just want to say this to you prophetically. God is enough. God is enough. It's amazing when the Lord gives us peace. Did you know that the way God gives peace is he speaks to you? When Jesus shows up, it says he spoke peace to you. He didn't just download it into someone's heart. He spoke to them. Peace be with you. Peace be upon you. My shalom. And you know what peace does? Peace can settle the turmoil that's in your heart. Have you ever spent time with the Lord and then you just have a sense of what he's saying and it silences the, the churning in your life? That's exactly what happens. Maybe it's been far too long since you've had some time with the Lord and that's really what you need. It won't take away some things, but it'll silence that churning and that turmoil. Maybe you haven't slept for a while. Maybe there's something that you've put on the shelf, but it constantly keeps coming back, kind of ripping at you, kind of tearing at you. And it's easy to point to external things and external people. But the reality is, and we believe this, it's not the water that's outside of the ship that sinks it. It's the water that gets in the ship that causes it to go down. And you can be stronger than what goes on around you. You and I, or we don't believe this book. You and I can be stronger in here than what goes on out here. We can be. And I want to look you in the eyes and tell you, you can be. Because God can give that to you. You might be facing something that is like a mountain. It's bigger than you. Well, so is God. God's bigger than the mountain. And I'm encouraging you to lay hold of that. Because I walk with enough people who go through terrible things, things that I don't understand. I don't understand half of what people go through. And I don't pretend to. I just don't pretend to. I don't sit with somebody and go, yep, been there before. Most of the time I haven't been there before. But what I do know and is true for you and me and every other person that goes through something today, as it always has been, that is that God can help us get through anything, grow us, develop us, shape us, sharpen us. He can do that. He always does. And he's fighting for us to believe him. But you got to choose what you believe. We have to choose what we believe in the midst of this. Can God soften our heart? Can God deliver us and make us new? Can God cause us to stand on water when it seems like it's going to sink us? Can God give us a believing intercessory heart for the loved ones in our life that don't believe in Jesus yet? Maybe that's plaguing you today. You don't feel like you were a great parent and it just plagues you that your kids don't love Jesus. And it sinks you a little bit. Truth be told, you don't want to talk about it. You want to say it, but it's true. Maybe there's something in you that just plagues you, makes you feel less than you are. But God wants to cause you to rise up and just believe him and to live that way. You don't have to be happy, clappy church person. That's not, you don't have to do that. But there's got to be a robust faith that he can strengthen inside of us to lay hold of his promises in the midst of whatever it is that's going on. I just talked to too many people to believe that we got a room full of people and we ain't going through a lot. We're going through, there's a lot going on in this room right now. And if it ain't you, friend, it's somebody right around you right now. But I say to you today that God wants to do something inside of all of us. And if he doesn't change our storm, 
It's because he's doing something in us in the midst of it. That's the facts. That's the facts. So here's what I want to do today. I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand, actually, because we... I just keep talking and it's getting later. That's what happens, you know. But I prayed, and here's what I sensed, um, not just to close a message, but ask for a prophetic moment from God. I'm not interested in how to close a message. I'm interested in what the Holy Spirit says, right? That's, Lord, what are you saying? And I sense the Holy Spirit say this to me, and, and I'm simplifying it, but that he wants to heal someone's heart today. He wants to heal your heart. That sounds kind of funny. He wants to heal my heart. He wants to heal your heart. Maybe you've tried, but there's just something unsettled in your heart. Pain, difficulty. You might deal with it through different ways. We get angry. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's a response to a wound is what it is. We're hurt, and some of us deal with it through anger. Some of us medicate. Some of us have to keep talking and talking and talking and talking with somebody about it, and it doesn't do... You talk to 10 people, and all of a sudden, it's still not good. God can reconcile that in our hearts. That's the starting place. I want to tell you today, I, I believe I heard the Lord say he's going to heal your heart. I'm not saying everything's going to change and, you know, overnight, but I believe it'll, it'll start today. If you've been looking for him to do something inside you and you feel unsettled, you feel like, man, I, I want he, this healing. There's something that is just bigger. It's plaguing me. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to ask you today to, if everybody would just slightly bow their head, not look around. I want to honor the presence of God. But if you need God to heal your heart, Ben, this thing's bigger than me and there's something that's just tearing at me. I, and, and I know it's me. It, maybe it's not all me, but there's something that he wants to heal. I just want you to raise your hand in the presence of God. I, okay, it's five, six seconds here. Just keep your hand up. Keep your hand up for a minute. There's, there's a lot of us in the room. First of all, thank you for the courage just to raise your hand. We're raising our hand to God. Thank you. And he says to you, I'm going to heal your heart. Let's receive it from him right now. Lord, we thank you. We come to you today. And Lord, maybe we're not facing the midst of the storm that had something to do with undoing us, but we certainly need you to heal us in the midst of where we are today. I just pray over our church. I pray over every hand that is raised and every person that's online that would be responding. In the name of Jesus, we pray for you to heal the heart. God, I pray for you to touch that area in our soul where there's a bookmark that's stopping us from maybe moving forward and it keeps ebbing and flowing and coming back up and we feel guilty about it and we feel plagued by it and we feel overwhelmed in the midst of it. And Father, I just pray for that person that we've been trying to forgive, we've been trying to let go of a situation and we've just been unsuccessful. Father, I pray for your peace to come right now and we speak the peace of God which surpasses our understanding. It's beyond our comprehension We ask for your shalom to touch down right here and now in our hearts. Come. Holy Spirit, come. We receive what you have. Father, we ask that you would expand our capacity to love and root out bitterness, jealousy, envy. Maybe even someone's dealing with some hatred. It's just grown and you don't want to admit it, but it's there. Lord, I pray you would just cleanse that from us. We don't want it anyways. So cleanse it. You want to take it more than we want to give it. Cleanse it. Father, we receive what you have today. We ask for your healing to touch us. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, 
go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.